When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, dear viewer, to the Presidencies of the United States. I'm your host, Jerry Landry. Welcome to the first episode of our video series. I've had this in mind to do for a while now because I wanted to be able to address presidential history that we're not going to get to for a while in the narrative of the podcast, but also I wanted to be able to reach out to an audience via video and be able to take your questions about presidential history that, again, don't fall into exactly where we're at in the podcast narrative right now. So I'm going to try out a few things. Uh, this is still very new to me, so I hope you'll bear with me, and I hope it proves entertaining and informative. So for this first episode, I have a question from a fellow podcaster. Jacob from the podcast on Germany submitted the question, what was the relationship between Tammany Hall and the presidents like? So for this, it required a little more research, and just to make sure that I'm on point, of course, I made some notes. So to answer this question, we first need to look at where Tammany Hall started. Tammany Hall started as kind of a society that uh, this was kind of a trend during the Revolution and Early Republic to start these social societies. And this was what became Tammany Hall, which is based in New York City, was a branch of a wider network of Tammany societies that originated in the Revolution. They were named for the Lenape leader, Tamanind, who was known to whites as Tammany. He was revered for his wisdom, and so this society started as a club for quote-unquote pure Americans. Um, what became Tammany Hall was known as the Society of St. Tammany, or also the Sons of St. Tammany, or the Columbian Order, and it was incorporated on May 12, 1789, as the Tammany Society. So this is around the time, this is just after George Washington was inaugurated president. So the Society of St. Tammany, it started as just more of a social club, but it quickly became political. And it became kind of a counterweight to a society that was started by uh, veterans of the Revolutionary War called the Society of the Cincinnati. The Society of the Cincinnati became more federalist. And thus, as this is a counterweight, it will come as no surprise that it was predominated by Democratic Republicans, so followers of Jefferson. But in this case, since it was in New York State, um, the big leader was George Clinton, who we talked about before. George Clinton was the um, longtime governor of New York. He became a strong uh, force in the Democratic Republican Party ended up becoming vice president. So another person who became vice president and was heavily involved in the Democratic Republican Party at the time was Aaron Burr. That name may be more familiar than George Clinton. So Aaron Burr, again, he saw this as a 
kind of counterweight to the Federalists and used Tammany in the election of 1800 to swing the state of New York from the Adams side to the Jeffersonian side. And so it's seen as being a pivotal moment in the election of 1800 that Aaron Burr was able to deliver New York to the Jefferson column. So after this, um, Aaron Burr became vice president. His, uh, um, we'll cover more about him later in the podcast. George Clinton became vice president. And control in New York State started shifting to DeWitt Clinton. Now, DeWitt Clinton, even though he was related to George Clinton, um, he ended up in a feud with the Tammany Society. So the Tammany Society was against him. Um, That's a whole long story of changing from the first um, party system into the second. We don't really have too much time to go into that now. But what you need to know is that a key moment in Tammany history, as well as presidential history, is in 1828. 1828 saw a rematch between John Quincy Adams, who at that time was the president, and Andrew Jackson. Tammany fell in line under Andrew Jackson and became a key component in the new Democratic Party, which formed around Jackson and Jacksonianism. So Tammany increasingly um, sought the support of new immigrants. Again, being something based in New York City, it was an area where new immigrants were coming in, especially in this antebellum period. So Tammany saw these new immigrants as a new um, ability, a, a new population that they could use to keep and increase their control over New York state politics and possibly even federal politics. So I mentioned that they were associated with the Democratic Party. As time goes on, we get closer to the Civil War, a new boss starts to emerge in Tammany. Um, You may have heard of Boss Tweed. So Boss Tweed was William M. Tweed. He started gathering power in 1858. So 1858, we all know what happened in 1860, 1861. States started seceding. The Democratic Party lost a great amount of power in the national scale for quite a while. Um, But Tweed kept his power in Tammany and kept power in New York City and some power in New York State. Tweed biographer Kenneth D. Ackerman is quoted as saying, quote, The Tweed ring at its height was an engineering marvel, strong and solid, strategically deployed to control key power points, the courts, the legislature, the treasury, and the ballot box. Its frauds had a grandeur of scale and an elegance of structure, money laundering, profit sharing, and organization. So even though they had a lack of influence in the presidency, which um, during the Civil War and after was predominantly controlled by Republicans, they did have an influence and an increasing influence over the National Democratic Party. So much so that Tammany Hall, the actual physical Tammany Hall, was the site of the 1868 Democratic National Convention. So Boss Tweed remained in power for a good amount of time, 
but he was taken down in 1872 by reform efforts led by a fellow Democrat, Samuel J. Tilden. So if that name sounds familiar, you probably know him from the election uh, with Rutherford B. Hayes. Tilden would run for president in 1876 against Hayes. Again, that's a whole big story there. Hayes would end up as president, but Tilden is seen by many as you know, he probably should have gotten the election. Anyway, so this cycle of a reformer coming in, taking power away from Tammany, this is going to be a recurring trend in the rest of Tammany's history. So even though Tammany, you know, after Boss Tweed, kept their efforts focused on New York politics and controlling City Hall, they would again meet up with other forces that were looking um, to for reform, for progressive reform. This included a rising star known as Theodore Roosevelt. And other... Theodore Roosevelt and other Republicans would work um, at the turn of the century to really take away power from Tammany. Kind of the last gasp of Tammany's strong influence on New York City politics um, was boss uh, Charles Francis Murphy and his protege Al Smith. So Al Smith would end up becoming governor of New York, and he unsuccessfully ran for president in 1928. But by this time... Progressivism was a major force, and so Tammany just was not able to recapture some of the power that they had before. And increasingly so, in the 1920s and 1930s, Democratic reformers started leading anti-Tammany efforts. This included the, um, the publishing magnate, William Randolph Hearst, as well as another Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Roosevelt worked to elect Republican candidate Fiorello LaGuardia, so even though FDR was Democrat, he worked to elect LaGuardia, who was a Republican, as mayor of New York City on a fusion ticket against Tammany's candidate in 1933. So this work, LaGuardia got in as mayor, he ran for re-election, and he became the first anti-Tammany reform mayor re-elected in New York City history. So even though Tammany stuck around for a few more decades, they just never really had the power that they had previously enjoyed after LaGuardia. They continued to lose power until finally ceasing to exist at all in 1967. So Tammany Hall is not an influence anymore in politics. But it's amazing that this institution that started as, you know, really more of a social club in New York City became such a force not only in New York City politics, but in New York State politics and even on the national level. Um, we'll see more of this as we go along in presidential history because Tammany is not the only major power that has an influence on state, regional, and uh, national politics uh, when it comes to presidential history. So thank you for joining me. I hope this did prove informative. And thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you want more information, I'm actually going to post it on the website, which is presidencies.blueberry. That's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y dot com. Um, check out my sources there. Thanks so much for joining me and have a great day.
Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast.